please stand if you are able for a reading from God's holy word. Today's scripture reading is from Ephesians 1, 15 through 23, and please read with me the verses in bold. For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his great might." that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand and in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Good morning. My name is Brad, and I'm one of the pastors here, um, as previously mentioned, and I'm glad that you're with us. I want to welcome uh, particularly those who are joining us on our worship stream this morning. I understand that it's likely that we have people from Southern California, uh, maybe some uh, folks in Florida. Uh, I heard a rumor about Oklahoma, and uh, we're so grateful, how, wherever you are, uh, if, uh, if you're joining us this morning, we'd actually love to hear from you. So uh, drop us a line, put a, put a uh, chat in the notes, or uh, send us an email and let us know how we can uh, serve you better. But uh, welcome to those of you who are here with us, and uh, those of you who are joining us uh, out in the parking lot as well. Um, we are in a second week of a series on the book of Ephesians that we're calling uh, One in Christ. And uh, some of you know this, uh, but uh, I'll share anyway. I have been uh, slowly working on a doctorate degree, and uh, it's called a doctorate of ministry. And depending on how you do the math, I've either been working on this degree for the last five years or the last 15 years. Um, but it's a project that, uh, that began uh, before, but really began in earnest when Daniel and I uh, became partners in ministry. And it's a project that uh, Daniel has empowered by his partnership with me and his gifts and, uh, and just the, the incredible way uh, that he leads that allows space for me to do that. And as that, as that little project, this, uh, this doctorate has developed, I've become more and more interested in writing about church planting with a partner in ministry, um, a co-pastor. And so actually specifically uh, the interest, what I'd like to write a dissertation about is pursuing uh, planting a multi-ethnic church with a partner or a team of co-pastors of different ethnicities. Um, which is 
Uh, the reason I share, uh, for one, is one of the reasons why I'm so excited to study the book of Ephesians this fall. Um, because in many ways, the church in Ephesus was the first place in the New Testament where Jews and Gentiles worshipped together in one church. It was, some would argue, the first multi-ethnic church. Uh, it's a place where what Paul often talks about, he uses this term, and in, when we get to chapter 3, we'll see it a whole bunch, but he uses this term called the mystery of the gospel being revealed. And when he talks about the mystery of the gospel unveiled, he, he says, here's Ephesians 3, 6, he says, the mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body and partakers of the promise in Christ through the gospel. Uh, so so the, 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 this part of the amazingness of the gospel story is that God was sending a savior. He was reconciling himself, not just with people who had been preparing and religiously looking for uh, the Jewish Messiah to come, but as the book of Ephesians says, people who were far off, people who uh, didn't have any exposure to, uh, to God or even weren't even looking for him. And the gospel brings people together in one group as God's people. And so um, the church becomes a place where the world can get a little glimpse of what God's kingdom is supposed to look like. The end of the book in the Bible says that when people gather in God's kingdom, there'll be people from every tribe and every language and every nation and every tongue. And so Paul writes this letter uh, to the church in Ephesus. And Paul was the church planter. He's no longer there. In fact, when he's writing the letter, um, he's writing from prison. And uh, he says that he's in prison. This again is later in the book in Ephesians chapter 6. He says he's in prison for fearlessly making known the mystery of Christ. So why is Paul in prison? Well, it's hard to say um, precisely. It could be that he's in jail for proclaiming Christ as a Messiah. Or it could be for proclaiming that Gentiles were included in Christ's salvation along with Jews. We don't have to think very hard to think about a world, about a country where you could get in trouble with the law for mixing races on a, in a worship service. Um, just think about how powerful it was for somebody to walk into the church in Ephesus in this time and see former enemies divided by prejudice worshiping and breaking bread together. Think about how powerful a witness that still is in our world today. Think about how much encouragement and spiritual support a group of people seeking to do that need. So I want... I want to write about the idea uh, that Daniel and I really feel like we sort of stumbled into because I think it might be a real encouragement to the church today. I think it might be a strategy that someone else could use with more intentionality. Um, uh, but uh, I want to write uh, about it because we need as much as ever to validate our gospel message that, that Christ brings people together by demonstrating 
by our gathering that, it, that the gospel has brought people of diverse backgrounds and diverse upbringings and different stories together to worship. I want to write about something that will be really encouraging. I want to provide spiritual support for believers who feel like they're living and living faithfully is a, it's a battle. And so this morning we're looking at uh, Paul's letter to the uh, church in Ephesus and they're in a similar situation. And so we're going to see this morning how he begins to commission believers in Ephesus with that sort of encouragement and that sort of spiritual support. Uh, how he seeks to encourage men and women, Jews and Gentiles, husbands and wives, mothers and fathers, regular Joes and regular Janes like you and me, and give them spiritual support to live out the gospel. Paul's going to demonstrate for us that even when we feel totally powerless in somebody else's life or powerless to help, and it must have felt powerless to write to a church in Ephesus from prison in some other place. Uh, but he demonstrates to us that even when we feel totally powerless to give support, the gratitude that we give and the prayers that we pray can be powerful and life-changing for others and even for ourselves in the process. And so this morning, gratitude, prayer, and power uh, from Paul's commission to the book, uh, to the church in Ephesus. So, kind of mentioned, this is a letter. And uh, so it's not, a, it's, not a, it's not a story form, it's not a poem. The genre is that it's a letter. And in Paul's day, uh, a letter would start with an opening greeting, which the book of Ephesus does. It says, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, and goes on. The next thing that a letter would do, the, the, uh, the next thing that a letter would do would uh, be to give a blessing. This is a pleasantry. You greet, you introduce yourself, and then you give some sort of blessing. And of course, that was the opportunity that Paul took when he was writing the Ephesians to write this unbelievable 203-word run-on sentence uh, that Daniel preached on last week. He takes that convention and turns it into an incredible exploration of what a blessing it is to know Christ as Savior. And then the next section of a letter traditionally would describe the purpose of the letter or, the, or give a commission to the, to the people who were receiving the letter. And that's the part that we read today. So when our passage begins with the words, for this reason, Paul is saying, he's referring back to what's already been said, and he's, and he's saying that because of those 203 words about God's reclaiming his creation, about the redemption of all that's underway in Jesus Christ, because Jesus' resurrection is proof that he's king over everything, over every power, over every authority, including death, because believers can live in confidence in God's love based not on what we do, but what Christ has done for us. What God decided to do before the beginning of time. For that reason, he says, I'm writing to offer you spiritual support so that you can know that it is possible to live faithfully even in the midst of ridicule. To pursue Christ even when you're told on every side that there is no truth and uh, that to worship and to submit to him uh, is the opposite of what you should do. You should uh, submit to only yourself. 
Uh, He's writing to tell them that it is possible, that the gospel makes it possible to gather in a group that has great racial and political and economic differences, and that this message of Christ is bigger than any of those things, that it's deeper than any of those things go, that it's more important than our own preferences and desires. And so Paul wants to commission them, and he wants to do so. He shows us that he does so with gratitude and with prayer and with power. So we'll look at those three things, gratitude, prayer, and power. It's not uncommon uh, in our world, probably almost daily, you hear someone say, I'm praying for you. Or maybe you hear uh, a leader or a, a, you know, a politician or a newscaster say something like, our thoughts and prayers are with them. And it's a convention. It's a good thing, I think. It's a way uh, to express regard and care uh, for someone else. Um, whether you're actually praying for them or not, it's the sort of thing that gets said in our culture. Um, And so it makes sense that a little prayer for the people receiving the letter would be part of the convention that Paul includes in his letter to say, you know, it's Paul, a little blessing, I'm praying for you, let's get down to business. Uh, But occasionally, uh, someone takes an opportunity like that and does something more. Occasionally, I have done something unconventional and uh, occasionally, I have actually prayed for people. <laughs> occasionally, I've actually prayed for the people that I said I would pray for with the people that I said I would pray for. Actually, it's one of the really unique steps. A, a few months ago, we did, a, we did a training here with several of our small groups about gospel conversations, and that training about sharing your faith had a step that said, first pray for people, then pray with people. And uh, it's not always that I actually do the homework of the project, but I have, on occasion, actually prayed with the people that I said that I would pray for. And I've uh, actually had weird, uh, we've had weird encounters where we've prayed in places that apparently people don't normally pray, right? In a driveway, um, at the counter, at a business, um, in an unexpected place. And those prayers have revolutionized those relationships. They have validated uh, the, the other spiritual conversations that we have because there's an, there's an evidence that I actually, I, you know, like I believe this and I want this for you. And they provided, I think, at, at least for me, real spiritual support. And so uh, I want to tell you a few of those stories as we look at the passage this morning. Let's look at gratitude. In a previous neighborhood uh, that we lived in some years ago, we had neighbors who moved in several months after we did. They had several kids of similar ages to ours, and our kids became fast friends, and they became wonderful and trusted neighbors. Several years later, it became clear that their marriage was falling apart. And I stumbled into a series of conversations with the husband in which I I always felt out of place. I always felt powerless to help him. And I I would often say to him, I'm going to be praying for you. 
I'm going to be praying for you. Uh, but on one particular occasion uh, in which I felt totally overwhelmed, and he began uh, to recount the faults that he felt were piling up, the mistakes that he had made, uh, the guilt that he felt. Um, he, he, he began to share how buried and powerless he felt, and I said to him, uh, can I pray for you? And he said, yes, and this was not a part of our relationship. And he crumbled into a chair, and I didn't know how to pray. I didn't know what parts of the story I was hearing were true and what parts were false and what parts was he shed, said and she said and all of those sorts of things. I didn't know what to ask for. And so I just thank God. I just thank God that he was my neighbor. I thank God that he loved and cared for my kids and that he was such a good dad for his kids. I thank God uh, that I felt safe because they live in our neighborhood and take good care of things, pick up our packages off our porch. Thank God that he let me use his truck sometimes. <laughs> I really needed a truck. <laughs> Paul says to the Ephesians, for this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love towards all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. So Paul begins with, to try to provide spiritual support for this struggling Ephesian church he begins with gratitude. He commends them for their faith. He says, I hear you rely on Jesus. I'm so thankful for that. And we're going to learn later in the book of Ephesians that their faith isn't perfect. They got a lot of things that they need to grow in. But Paul knows uh, that spiritual support begins with gratitude, giving thanks for all that God is doing and all that he is providing, even if it's not perfect. Uh, even if it's not mature yet or if it, it isn't finished yet, still gratitude lays a foundation for future spiritual care. I'm so thankful for you. I'm, each of us could think of a situation where what somebody said would have been so much more useful and so much more uh, helpful if they had first shared with us that they were grateful for us, that they loved us. God is... Uh, doing good things all the time, and we can point those out to people, and that's spiritual support. Paul goes on, he commends them for their love towards all the saints. And that actually might be a loaded sentence. It's, it's significant that he says all the saints to the church in Ephesus, because remember, Ephesus is a church that is made up of Jewish saints and Gentile saints, and he's commending this church for loving all the saints. Men and women, Jew and Gentile. Paul's grateful for the glimpse of the kingdom of God that you can get if you, if you go to worship in the church in Ephesus, where Christians of all, that are all kinds of people, come together to worship and they're not doing it perfectly. Later in the book, he's going to talk about the stuff that gets in the way of their unity and the way that they need to depend on the gospel. And so, is it disingenuous uh, to give thanks and commend them even though stuff's, you know, not perfect? It's not, it's not as it could be or needs to be? I don't think so. I think Paul, uh, Paul doesn't seem to think so. Uh, when we do it, when we, when we show gratitude, we demonstrate to people that we have faith that God is doing something good. That's more than a lot of people have in that situation. Uh, we, when we show gratitude, we proclaim, we see something that God has started. 
and we believe that he's faithful to see it through to the end, and when we show gratitude, we give God credit. Um, sometimes we're not helping people when we give them credit because then when they fail, what do they have? But when we give God credit, we thank him for this thing that is a gift to this person or the way that this person is a gift from him to us. And we acknowledge that that's where every good gift comes from, including our salvation, a gift, a free gift from God through Christ Jesus. And so Paul's spiritual support begins with gratitude for the Ephesian church. He moves on to a prayer. Another time, Olivia and I were having dinner with a couple who were preparing for a very important vacation. They were taking their adopted daughter back to the country of her birth. And the trip had several times been postponed because of travel restrictions and, uh, and, and, and they knew that even if they could go, it would be challenging. Uh, even if it went off without a hitch, they were not certain they'd be able to get uh, to the village where she was born. And so as the evening drew, clo- drew to a close, we asked if we could pray for their trip. This had never been a part of our relationship with them. Uh, we love them very much. We do not share uh, the same uh, faith in Christ. But they gladly accepted and we prayed. And we prayed specific things. More than just, Lord, uh, you know, bless this trip and give them travel mercies. We prayed that passport and visa issues would be resolved. We prayed that weather would allow them to travel to that village of their daughter's birth and that God would give them safety in the most dangerous parts of their journey. And so Paul doesn't just say that he will pray for the believers in Ephesus. He's actually really specific about how he's asking God to use the gospel in their lives. He prays and he says, Uh, that that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation and the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened. He's praying that they would have gospel heads, that that God would help them, give them uh, understanding of who he is, of who Jesus is, and and who they, were, uh, who they are and who we are as adopted sons and daughters. Uh, he prays that a new understanding would change the way that they understand the world, that this uh, gospel-headedness would help them filter what goes on around them and interpret it from God's perspective. Uh, he is essentially praying uh, he, he, he talks about having their, uh, a spirit of wisdom and the revelation of knowledge and God's revelation of his character and his purpose and his design are available to us in his word. And so uh, in a way, he's even praying that uh, this group would learn how to apply the knowledge that they have of God from his word in their life. And of course, applied knowledge in life is wisdom. And so he prays for gospel-headedness. Paul prayed that the Ephesian believers would integrate what they knew in their heads uh, with what they did in their lives. He, he prays for gospel hearts as well. He says that he wants them to have the eyes of their hearts enlightened. Uh, he, he's articulating the truth that uh, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter how much knowledge you have in your head if you have a hard and stubborn heart. Paul knows that what 
Ephesian believers need is not just changed behavior. They're going to talk about how to live later on in the letter, but he's very clear that only God can regenerate the heart. God has to intervene and soften our hearts if we're ever going to be able to hear the truth of his word. And so Paul's spiritual support for the Ephesians begins with begging God to enlighten the eyes of their hearts so that they can understand the gospel. And he prays that they would be people of gospel hope. He says uh, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in saints. We've all experienced uh, in, a, in our family or in our workplace having leaders who lead out of anxiety and fear and the way that that uh, affects the team and the system. And we've also experienced others who emote confidence and character because their leadership comes from uh, deep convictions, a, a, a place of deep and secure hope about who they are and what they've been put here to do. And that's the sort of hope that Paul is praying for, for Ephesian believers. He says, here is our gospel hope. And then he points them back right to that 203-word run-on sentence. As Brian Chapel says, the world is the Lord's and we are his forever. The universe is not random and we are never abandoned. Our God is just and gracious and sovereign and saving. Man, operating out of that place is a different thing. And so Paul offers gratitude as spiritual support. He offers his prayers specifically to them as spiritual support. And then he goes on to talk about power. A few years ago, I dropped my phone and cracked the screen. And so I took it to a cell phone repair shop owned by another family of one of the players on Asher's Little League team. And I knew that, uh, kind of through the grapevine, that there had been some sort of medical event in their lives, but I didn't realize until I was standing at the counter and the dad had his little um, screwdrivers out fixing my phone, that he had actually spent the night before in the ICU with his wife who was fighting for her life. She had had some crazy complications of an infection or sepsis or something like that that had literally rendered her unresponsive and comatose and on life support. And, uh, and he jumped every time the phone in the shop rang because he thought, this is the call. You know, they're going to tell me that my wife has passed. And uh, of course, there was nothing I could do. I felt, uh, I, I felt totally powerless. And so I did a thing that you're not supposed to do. I broke probably like a hundred rules that are unspoken between dads of Little League players. And I asked him if I could pray for him. And uh, he wept. Well, I just asked God to save his wife. I just asked him to show up in power and I didn't know what that meant. I asked him to show that he was good and show this, this guy that he was good. And, uh, and, and I just asked him to, to I, I just acknowledged that God is powerful and asked him to show up in power. And uh, we have sat next to him and his wife at Little League games in, in the years since. And uh, he calls me his pastor, even though he's Catholic. And uh, he'll sometimes whisper prayer requests to me 
in between innings. And for your, I think, FYI, for your information, uh, our other friends made it to that daughter's village. And our neighbors got divorced. And it broke my heart, but I would still say that those were powerful prayers, each one of those instances. How do we know that our prayer can have power? How do we know if our prayers will have power? Well, Paul's spiritual care for the Ephesians makes it clear that the power is not in the prayer. So it's not getting the words right and really eloquent or saying the right incantation and spell uh, so that your prayer is powerful. And Paul is clear that the power is not in the prayer, the person who is doing the prayer. And that is really good news because no matter how I've told the story, these are three of the dumbest, bumbliest prayers I have ever prayed. But Paul says that there is an immeasurable greatness of God's power towards us who believe. And it's the same power, he says, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead. We pray in Jesus' name. Uh, and it's not just because it's a convention. We, you know, if, you know that there, that's the, there's a knee jerk for people in, in Jesus' name, amen. But Christians pray in Jesus' name because it's the only name that can raise the dead to life. Looking to him, as this passage goes on to say, is more powerful than looking to any other rule or any other authority in the world because he holds the keys to death and Hades. He is the creator. He's the beginning. He is the end. And we usually do it in the other way around, right? We're in a, we're in a situation and we look first to, uh, we look and beg the people in positions of power for help. Then we exhaust the expert's help and the doctor's help. And then we see what kind of help or security we can afford to pay for or give a favor for or angle for. And finally, when all else fails, we turn desperately to the one who has proven that he can raise the dead to life. That's the kind of power that Paul says is at work in the prayers of believers. But Paul is explicit here in this letter to a struggling church in Ephesus that the power that God has given to Jesus by putting all things underneath his feet is the power that Jesus gives to the church, his body that continues to exist on earth. God has determined, God can display his power any way he chooses. He can give his grace in any way that pleases him, but he has determined that the primary means by which he's going to display his resurrection power on earth is through those who gather corporately to worship him. That this, that that Ephesian church that was putting the, the, the kingdom of God on display for the world to see, that w when we come together to worship him and, and to learn to fulfill his purposes and to apply the gospel to each of our diverse and varied situations and difficulties and sin, that there is a power on display uh, when that thing happens and that is a, the place that God has chosen to put his power on display in the world, a power that is on display in so many ways when believers gather together for the gospel, Jews and Gentiles, men and women, 
mothers and fathers and children and employers and employees and everyone. It's a power uh, that God uses to give spiritual support to others through our gratitude and through our prayers. And it's a power that is on display in our gathering. And it is a power that is uh, intentionally on display at the table. 